Thank you so much for being part of this again. We are in chapter one. This is uh, chapter one, part two. So we're in a B session. We had lesson lesson three A last week. This is lesson three B on your worksheet. It should say that. Uh, and I will do my best to complete the chapter tonight, although I feel highly confident we won't. But, uh, but I do believe I would rather go through chapter one really slow because there's a lot of things you're going to see on the slides called the rethink. And to really go into this book, I really want to challenge you to rethink some things about what you see about the book of Revelation and what is going on from your perspective as we get ready to interpret the book and jump into it. So let's talk a little bit for those that will be watching online. The green check mark. Will everybody clap real quickly? Uh, we got a green check mark now. So any slide, especially if you're watching these online or doing them later, I know some are sharing the videos as they come out. Uh, you'll know that a green check mark means to look at your worksheet that you download off the website as well. Fill in the blanks. You can keep it up with yourself. So let's do something that we need to do. Let's just open the Bible. And I just want to read all the way down to about verse 9. So you would think after two weeks we could be past verse 8, but we're going to just roll as deep as we can go up to verse 9 and see how far we get to verse 9. And then if we can get through that, we'll tackle the rest on down later on in the series today. Let's, let's join in with Revelation chapter 1, New King James Version, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and even they who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everybody remember that teaching? Yeah. Time is a person that has a beginning and an end. Says the Lord, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Lord Almighty. Let's just run through real quickly. This is a recap from last week. We taught that the book of Revelation is to uncover. This won't be in your worksheet. This was Lesson 3A worksheet, but we'll recap. It means to uncover. God wants the mystery known, and this is what we landed on. Jesus is going to uncover the events of the future that will lead toward the end of his redemptive plan. We talked about prophecy, the prediction of future events emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God. We really tried to hold on that... We're not just going to go into the book allegorically, but we're going to go into the book and believe that this book is not just an allegory in fables, but written by a poet to express mysteries of the future. The rethink was this. It's a book of certainty. 
And we, we really dug it out deep to try to prove this point that it is about events and peoples. And we, you remember we even went to the end of the book and Jesus said if you remove these words from this book, all the curses will happen. And so even Jesus himself is alluding to that this uh, is not just an allegorical fable book, but it is a prophetic book that shoots to the future to tell the redemptive plan of God. So the way we're going through this is going through it very literally. So I do know that there are people that believe it's an allegory and a fable and a story that has already passed. I understand all that, but for my, for my take, we're running through it. Here was another rethink we said that the entire prophecy of Revelation was written to the church. Hence, and this is what we really tried to mine out last week rather deep, Hence, to, to understand and unlock the mystery, we need to have an understanding of the church. And we came to this conclusion about the church, and I'll leave it right here, and we'll go ahead and, and continue with chapter 1. The church is distinctly different and set apart from all peoples and nations on the earth. So what I want to do tonight and what I will continue to do through is to try to always bring the church into the teaching uh, and try to let you know why I believe what I believe. For those of you that know me, I'm, I kind of lean toward pre-trib. I'm always game to change that but I, from what I've studied and know. And so I'm going to try to pull that through so I don't just say I'm pre-tribulation because I'm Pentecostal or that's what I was told, but through my study to say this is why I believe the church will not go through the book of Revelation and the wrath that comes later, uh, and I'll try to teach you why that is. But last week it was that the church is distinctly different. Here are the churches that we're going to study. Just a brief uh, synopsis of the map again. There were seven churches on the tip of Asia Minor. Here is the uh, regular map of today, so this is sort of what that map looks like. The green with the red uh, star in it is where those churches are located. And we made this thought that perhaps the reason John was asked by Jesus to send the letter to these churches was to teach us that the church was distinctly different from those who would call Israel home. Uh, the Jews who did not receive Jesus, they rejected him, would be dealt with completely different from those who called him Messiah and said he was King of kings and Lord of lords and chose him. Even Paul will write in the Romans that Gentiles got grafted in because of the rejection of the Jews. My opinion is that that's the reason, uh, one reason anyway, that the Heavenly Father through the Spirit had John write to these churches. And then we came up with this thought that the seven churches were separate from the promised land. That pink was the promised land given to Abraham in a promise uh, by God. And yet, you see that John has to write to the churches that sit off from that. Again, separate, which goes back to what I teach, that God always, in my opinion, always deals with the church separately than he deals with the world, meaning Gentiles. He deals with the church separately than he deals with the Jews who rejected him, who are today called Israelites, Hebrews. Uh, he deals with those... Uh, very, very differently. So let's look at this. This is where we're really going to take our jumping off point. So uh, verse 5 is where I would like you to start. Now we're on lesson 3B, so this is going to begin our teaching tonight. And we're going to try to make it down through at least verse 9 and dig it out rather slow and deep. 
Let's just read it together. It's on the screen. Why don't you read it along with me? And let's just, we're blessed if we hear it. So let's read that together. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the world. Now, my opinion of the verse, I'm going to leave the verse up there, but I'm going to go back and pull some thinking out from the previous lessons. You remember Jesus says of himself, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the first and the last. But then there's this phrase that really kind of defines the role of Jesus because it says, I am who was, that's past tense. I am who is, that's present. And I am who is to come, and that is future. If we look at these, I've highlighted them because I do believe that this pretty much will sum up the book of Revelation and what is going on. Uh, the faithful witness is the Jesus who was. We're going to dig this out really deep, so I will walk you through each of it clearly, but I do want to give you where we're going to go. When it says he's the faithful witness, it's alluding to that he has been around since the beginning of time. And therefore, because he's been around since the beginning of time, he has a direct correlation to the promise of Abraham and to Moses and the law because he existed even before they were. And when they gave the covenant to King David, he was there in that time too. So all the way through the Old Testament, Jesus, the faithful witness, the word of God was there. He's been there from the beginning of time. Jesus just didn't show up in Luke chapter 2 in the belly of Mary. He's the eternal God and the Jesus we know is the Jesus that is in the second part the first to rise from the dead. The first to rise from the dead brings us into the work of Jesus on the earth as a human. The faithful witness tells the past of Jesus dealing as the word of God from an eternal realm to our realm but the first to rise from the dead alludes to the fact that he became flesh and he died and he rose up and that middle section is still going on today. Jesus is still working at present. Come on, you could have amen on that one. He, the Bible will say in the book of Hebrews that he ever lives to make intercession for us. So he's up there, which is a strange thought. I know we say he lives in our heart. He does that by the Spirit. Jesus, the literal Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Creator God Almighty who is the Father. And the Bible says he ever lives to talk about me to Daddy God. So this mentality that Jesus somehow forget about you or doesn't know about you or has no clue what you're going through is lunacy. He ever lives to make intercession for you. Uh, the best visual I can give you is all throughout, and I don't know how he would pull this off, but he is God. All throughout the day of Mark Evans, the Father God and Jesus will turn around and have a conversation about me because he's interceding for me. He goes before the Father for me, for my sins, for my failures, for my needs. He's there as a high priest. That is still going on right now. But the blue is he is the ruler of the kings of the world, and that is a yet to come. Right now, Jesus rules on the planet Earth through the church. That's how he's ruling and reigning. He's ruling and reigning on the Earth through his body. 
That's why we've been given authority. That's why we can lay hands on the sick and they recover. That's why demons can come out when we cast them out in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why the Holy Spirit will work through us in gifts to push the kingdom of God forward because the ever-living, interceding Jesus is still working in the present day. So even though I don't see him right now, he's very much at work. But that unseen Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father will come back and he will rule as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now this is an opinion. Let's roll through it. I'll just teach it to you as we go rather than belaboring the point. Here is what we mean when we say Jesus is the faithful witness. The word witness means the right to execute the commands and official duties. So the moment Jesus takes the title as being faithful, that's the word faithful, Pistos Martis is the faithful witness. We're going to look at the word faithful. It means that he has the ability to execute the official duties of God. What are those two duties? The two duties of God are the right to carry out the judgments of God as laid out in the law. So he has a right to do that. What are the judgments of God? The judgments are God. If you sin, you die. If you can keep the law perfectly, you won't die. But we all know we can't. So God, through the faithful witness Jesus, allows me to go to the cross and receive judgment on Jesus. But to those that reject him, God will still carry out the punishment of the law. You will get death. And Jesus is the one who has the right to carry that out. He has the right to judge us. He has the right for the sins that are placed upon him to take the judgment off of me. And this is what the word witness means. And this is where it gets really interesting. Uh, from our perspective, the word witness probably will pop up this way in your head. It means to go out on a street corner with a little track in your hand and tell somebody without Jesus they're going to hell. Uh, you know, or they need Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. That is a witness. But, but even in the Acts 1.8, you shall receive power to be a witness. It doesn't mean that you're going to have great boldness to go stand in the mall and scream, Jesus is coming back. What that word witness means is that you will witness to it from a historical, legal, political an ethical sense. And that's what he's called. Now here's the strange things. Because we're children, my life connected to God through Jesus Christ should also bear this same type of witness. My life should be a historical witness, meaning I have been changed from who I used to be. Paul will say this, what you all were, you are not anymore. Old things have passed away. Some of you were reprobate. Some of you were this way. But now you've been brought near to God and you no longer are. Book of Corinthians. Praise God for that, right? Most of you in here know your historical self. Probably shameful. <laughs> but we all know the old me. Paul will call it the old us. The old man, some versions say. The sinful nature, some versions say. But we also have a legal sense. And many Christians don't understand this one. God has given you a legal sense. And, and by that, I mean you legally, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, have been given all authority 
on this earth, to rule on this earth, to speak to this earth, to command this earth, and that every devil of hell would fall and have to bow to the power of Jesus on the inside of your life legally. Legally. My dad said something years ago. It didn't dawn on me, but it does now that I'm older. He would pray these prayers when I was going through something. He would lay his hands on me when I was going through something. He would say, Devil, you have no right. And I love this line. Get ready. You might want to write it down. You are trespassing on God's property. (laughs) Come on. I didn't know what that meant as a kid, but it felt good because he was spitting and shaking my head. Right? But it's true. The devil is trespassing. When he comes against you, these Christians that say, oh, the devil's just riding my back hard, get him off. You have legal right. He's trespassing on God's property. You're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You're owned by God. You are his property. And the devil's trespassing. I heard a, I don't, you know, this is something that's said, and it really challenged me, and I kind of believe it now. But this guy said, the devil... The devil doesn't make you sick. The devil robs you of healing. Does that make sense? I mean, like we think, oh, he's making me sick. No, he's robbing you of healing because healing is a divine right, a legal right. All right? Political. Political is just who sits on the throne. And everybody in this room has a political sense to Jesus Christ. It really means just who sits on the throne of your life. Your brain or him? Your emotions or him? Your feelings or him? Who sits on the throne of your life? That's what we mean by a political witness. Everybody in here will have to come to a place in your heart of will you dethrone yourself? And will you put him in a seat of authority where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in an ethical sense? Uh, The ethical sense of this is, well, I don't want to forgive, but I will. I don't want to bless my enemy, but I will. I don't want to be nice to that person that stabbed me in the back, but I will. Because ethically, I'm a Christian, I should act differently. I should be different. And I believe Jesus takes this title upon himself. I am the faithful witness. So when he says that, this is what he means. I have the right to execute Every command and law of God, both historically, both legally, both politically, and ethically. And because you're my children, I give you the same ability. And yet so much of, this is why I want to really dwell on this uh, book of Revelation, because we can go through it and tell you all the symbols. But if we don't get this down to understand who you were, who you have a right to be, how to really govern yourself on this planet, and then how to live it out practically, who cares who the Antichrist is? You know what I mean by that? I mean, And so Jesus, before he even gets into all the good stuff, because I imagine most of us go, I can't wait to get to the good stuff. <laughs> right? That's kind of me. I can't wait to get to chapter 13. It's my favorite chapter. But... But the reality of it is, if I don't understand this about the Son of God who wrote the thing, I'm going to be a miserable mess. So here's what we mean. Let's just pull it out. There's a green check mark. Ta-da! 
Jesus earned the right historically because, and then on your worksheet you have a blank. Just put the passage of scripture so you can go back and read it later. But it's on the TV for you to see. So Jesus earned the right historically because, let's read it, Revelation 1.8. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is, who was, and who is to come. That who is, who was, and who is to come is that. He's the faithful witness. He was. He is the first from the dead. He is. And he's the ruler of the king of kings. And I'm coming back. So that's how all that fits together. That faithful witness. The historical side of it being. Let me give it to you again. Revelation 1.8. I can do it historically because I've always been there. Jesus earned the right legally. Because, and at the blank by the side of that, because legally, I gave you Revelation 5.9 because once we get to Revelation 5.9, there's a beautiful question. Who is worthy to take the scroll? As a matter of fact, would you do me a favor and just open your Bible because I would love you to see it with your eyes. Revelation chapter 5. And let's start reading in verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll from the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, each having a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Here's the song they sang. Here's the elders now and the 24 elders. Here's what they sang. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That that is a powerful thing. That we've been redeemed by God. But he asked the question... The reason is, legally, Jesus can carry out these judgments that we will see, and Jesus can do it, is the legal right. He did it by his blood. He gained that right legally at the cross. Because you and I had been traded out in Adam's sin, and when we got traded out in Adam's sin, this is a strange thought, but I hope it will help you. When Adam sinned, Adam lost the legal rights God gave to him over the planet Earth. And when God came down historically to Adam and clothed him in blood, he clothed him in blood, and Adam took this ethical sense upon him that ethically he could try to walk God out. So what Adam has is historical and ethics. He has the bookends. He has the historical, I've been forgiven because Jesus shed an animal for my sin and ethically I can try to walk this out. But the rest of the Old Testament is God setting up the legal and the political. God will set up the legal that this is the way we're going to do kingdom. These are the laws you will abide by and I will be your governor. I will be your Lord. I will govern. What did they do when they got into this moment legally with God? They moved over to this one, this political thing. I'll give you time to write it, but just consider this thought. All through the Old Testament, we see this battle of legal and political. 
the, the legal, the legalities of the law, and then who's in charge of it. And even when they wanted a king, God was like, I don't want to give you a king. I want to be your king. In other words, you guys have already blown it historically. You're trying your best ethically to make me happy, but you can't. And so what I would like to do is lay down some legal things here. If you'll just trust me, they said, oh, no, whatever you tell us, we'll do. Okay, here's the law. You already broke it. So legally, you guys can't pull it off yourself. You're breaking the law before I even got off the mountain. But then God is like, but I would really still like to be your king, even though you guys can't do the law and you're trying ethically. And they're like, no, we want to be like every other nation. We want our own king. And so God's like, okay. Politics, yeah, I'll give you your own. Go for it. So even back in the Old Testament, we see all these words playing out that Jesus earned the political right. This is verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And here these words. I've, I've highlighted them. He received power. He received riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. That's pretty powerful. I wish I had time to just run through all of those. But for those of you that love to study, it would be a great study to ask the question of why did he receive that? And the reason Jesus received power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing is because Adam let go of all that. For my belief is this is what was clothing Adam. And he didn't even realize he was naked. The power of God, the riches of God, the strength and the honor and the glory and the blessing of God covered Adam in his nakedness. And the moment he sinned, he lost it all. He lost the power. He lost the riches. He was inept. He could do nothing to buy it back. He lost the wisdom because he chose his own over God's. He lost his strength because it says you'll grovel over the earth by the sweat of your brow. Your wife will struggle in child labor through pain. You lost the glory because my glory cannot remain upon a sinful human being. And you lost my blessing. You're cursed. That sounded real preachy, didn't it? I was like, ah, like I'm mad, like chopping things down. Do you understand this, though? That, that this is a, pol a political thing. And so now this is why it says Jesus receives it. The reason he received it is he bought it back legally. Through the death of the cross, he bought back the right to the earth. He bought back the right to humanity and to govern and rule. But the last enemy's not been destroyed yet. Legally, he has it, but politically, he hasn't come to rule and reign yet. Right now, he's, he's faithful witness of the past. He's the ruling God, but he hasn't come to establish over all the kingdoms of the earth yet. But he still has the strength, the honor, the glory, and the blessing. The reasoning, me, the reasoning I don't think he's come back yet is he's trying to let people know that they've legally been adopted by him. And how many people do not know on this planet that God has adopted them as unto himself and grafted them into his life. And he says, now get out there and tell them why. Because the moment they know legally that I belong to them, my heart is full. Because one day I will come and rule politically over them. That brings us to the next thought. 
Revelation 19, if you want a verse, this is a good verse for you. Revelation 19, you can put out beside that rule politically. Let's go there. Well, I'll just give it to you for the sake of time. It, it says in Revelation 19 that he, saw, he sees Jesus coming in the clouds. And it says he has across his vesture a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords forevermore. Meaning there will come a moment politically where he will rule. Now here's a thought for you because I, I try to pull some practical things into the teaching. Here's a thought for you. Right now, legally, we have the right to rule on planet earth through the name of Jesus as the church. But a lot of people don't enjoy that right because politically they never enthrone him over their life. Like everybody in this room right now, if you're born again, you have a legal right to all claim of power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and blessing. You have a right to it. It's yours. It's as if a lawyer signed off and said, here is the will and testament of Jesus Christ that now belongs to you. But the reason many don't enjoy it and understand it is politically they've never enthroned him as Lord of their life. He's Savior. Savior is legality. He's saved me. That's my legal right. I, I, and I believe he saved me. But I must confess out of my mouth that he is Lord. Why out of my mouth? It's a deep thought. I won't go there, but... But out of my mouth, I must confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because my mouth was the place where the curse originated. It came when he bit, and the moment he started chewing, the curse, watch now, the curse. So, the moment he swallowed that, because everything bears fruit after its kind, that fruit went into Adam and began to bear fruit. And you all know what food does. It goes into your belly and then it distributes the nutrients and then it gets rid of the trash. So the moment he ate the fruit, the nutrients of the fruit, which were rebellion, flowed through the blood of Adam and the only thing Adam could do was to produce after himself, which is death. So when Jesus comes and he receives it back, and Paul will say, to be born again, you must confess with your mouth. Why must I confess with my mouth? Because it was the open door to the original sin and that confession will purify. For you must confess He is Lord. In other words, not just, oh, Daddy God, hey, welcome to the garden. No, He has to be Lord. He has to sit enthroned upon your life. So that, that was a thought for you. I hope that helped. The ethical sense... This is, um, will maybe take a little time to understand what I mean by it, but Jesus has earned the right ethically because he's Acts 17.31. I'll read it to you. It's on the screen. Here's Acts 17.31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. So ethically, Jesus has a right to hold me accountable. And ethically, Jesus has a right 
to judge me. He's been appointed to bring justice. Now, this is my belief. The appointment of that justice to me could never be put on me as the church because that justice has already been removed off of me. So to be appointed for a day of judging the world, that's a thought, not the church, the world, we don't get judged with wrath holding us accountable to the law. We get judged with blood holding us accountable to our actions, if that makes sense. In other words, now that Mark Evans believes the only judgment I will have is, Mark, what did you do with your body? What did you do? I'm still going to let you in. Some of you will get in by the skin of your teeth and by fire, but you'll still get in because it's free for believing in me. But I'm going to judge everything you've said and everything you've done. You will stand before me and I will will judge you. But that doesn't keep me from eternal life. Eternal life's not based on did I do everything right. It's based on did I believe. So again, what I say and believe is that the book of Revelation is not about the devil being mad. It's not about non-Christians persecuting Christians. That happens right now. So if that was the book of Revelation, we're in it right now. The book of Revelation is about God fulfilling the promises of His judgment as given in the law to the Jewish people who rejected Him. And He's going to finish that as we said a few weeks ago. So Jesus has been given the right. Now, turn to your, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I want to kind of just show you what I mean by this so you kind of understand when I say he has an ethical right. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. You ready for this? Underline it, that we might receive the what? The adoption of sons. There it is. I'll read it and kind of give it to you. It's what we've been talking about. But when the fullness of time had come, that's the faithfulness. That's the Jesus who was. Now it's time. He's moving into the Jesus who is. God sent forth his son. That's That's the one that will rise from the dead, the Jesus who is right now. He was born of a woman, born under the law, And it's going to get really interesting to redeem those who are under the law. That word redeem, we're going to dig it out in a minute. That word redeem means that he bought you back and he has legal claim on you. It's no different than me walking in going, hey, I want that item. And they said, well, hand me some money. And I hand him a $20 bill. I redeemed it. I bought it. I purchased it. We're going to dig that out in a minute. But I want you to keep reading. Look, Look at what he says. He says, to redeem those, verse 5, who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And, verse 6, because you're the sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. Do you understand the difference between slave and son? A slave is legally owned by somebody else, and a son just got bought off the slave block. I've been adopted. I'm no longer a slave. We sing it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Right? That old song. But literally what you're singing is, the devil has no more legal claim on me, for I am a child of God. Right? And so that's what he said. But look at verse 21, because it's just kind of mind-blowing to think about this in Genesis, or Galatians 4. 
Tell me, verse 21 of Galatians, if you want to make a note, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? In other words, watch, this is strange. Even though Jesus has paid the legal right and says you don't have to worry about the law, I bought you by my blood, there's still people on the planet that go, no, I don't want that, I don't want him, I reject him, and I still desire to live under the law. I want to do it myself. The Jews, I want to keep the Ten Commandments myself. I can pull this off. The Gentile, I want to live by the rules of my own conscience. I don't want to have to put my faith in someone else and in in what he says. So we need to know that there's still in people a rejection of Jesus. And Now watch. When you reject him who has redeemed you from the law, that's those of us who believe. He, He got me off the slave block. But what happens to the person who will not come under his redemption and stays on the slave block. What happens to that person? Then therefore, he's not a child or she's not a child of God. They still have a legal claim of Satan on their life. As we learned last week, they're still part of another family, of the family of Satan, John chapter 8. And then therefore, because of such... Their witness of their life will never change historically because they'll never come different. Their past will haunt them the rest of their life and the death they were born into will follow them to the end to be the death of their end. Also, legally, they will never know what it's like to have freedom because they never bought my freedom. And politically, they're sitting on their own throne. So so now watch. What do I do with these people who consistently keep rejecting me? And they die maybe in their rejection of me. What do I do with these people who consistently snub their nose at me and will not repent? Well, right now the Jesus who is, is very patient. God is long-suffering. He's letting them blaspheme and spit in his face and curse him from the earth. Very patient. Why? Because any he can get off the slave block into the family is worth him waiting Here is a thought. It's mind-blowing, but it'll really show you who's really in charge of your life if you just kind of parse it out. This thinking of, oh, Jesus, just hurry up. Our world is going to hell in a handbasket. And that's my prayer, right? Hurry up. Get here before November 4th. Jesus, help (laughs) It makes my head hurt to even think about it. But the moment Mark Evans prays a prayer, if I'm not careful, I turn to God and say, the people on the slave block don't matter. I matter. Bless me, fix me, help me. Do all this for me, 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 and hurry up and come get me because I don't want to go through all this. And I'm just not convinced that the Father doesn't turn around and say, look, Mark, I appreciate all that and I probably will bless you, but I just want you to look down. The reason I'm not coming is that kid, Joe... He doesn't know me yet, and I care just as much about him as you. And legally, the devil still owns him. And really, the only way he's going to know, Mark, is you're going to have to get your head up out of your prayer life. And you're going to have to go out in the street and become a witness for me and become a faithful witness and tell him you used to be that way, but now you've been redeemed. And show him the authority I have by maybe laying hands on him or praying a prayer and watching the miracle I could perform. Because if you have a legal right to perform the miracle with the power that I've given you, it could blow him away to show him my reality through the legal right that you will take in the name of you already being changed. Because if you'll let me sit on your throne politically, 
politically and govern your life, I'll send you to Joe at the right time, right when I know he's ready, and we will blow his mind if you'll ethically keep living it so he won't call you a hypocrite and he'll know I'm real. You ready to go? Right? So, so that's the whole thing. That's one verse. I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> Next verse. We move on from the faithful witness. I, I gave you all of that because I want you to understand, understand my passion. I, and, and I want to be fair. I don't want to be passionate about something and stupid at the same time. I'm passionate because I genuinely believe it. Not just because I want to believe it, but from what I read, I genuinely believe we're different as the church. We will be treated differently as the church. And it's high time we begin to rule and reign here on this earth right now. And I would just say maybe if you take nothing away from tonight, maybe go home and look at your life in those four areas of historical, legal, political, and ethical and assess yourself in the mirror in all of those areas. Are you really different than you used to be? Or do the same habits and sins keep following you? Then historically, you've never really come to know the power of Jesus legally. If your sins and habits just keep following you over and over and over, sinful behavior over and over and over, I wouldn't say you're not born again, but I would say you have a very low understanding of the legal right God has given you. And then once you have the legal right, if I know who I am in Christ, great. I'm glad you do it. I'm glad you can quote the Bible and pray in tongues. That's awesome. You have legal right. We now have to step into, but is he Lord? Or are you still living you? And then once you do that, do you live it or are you a hypocrite? Is it easier to talk about it, but you really don't live it? So if you take nothing away from the night... The reason I, I dwelt so much on that is because me personally thinks it's silly for all of us, 70-some, 80 people, sitting in a room waiting on to talk about 666 and all, and we never really get the initial verse 4 of being different because I think when we do, you'll really understand Revelation. So here's verse 5 and 6 now. So we're back to chapter 1 of Revelation. And I want to tell you again why I think the church is different. So let's just read verse 5 and 6. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him, well watch these words, to him be glory and dominion. So there's something about this blood of Jesus that gives this word dominion, rulership. It really lends itself all the way back to the original intent of Adam and Eve, go and take dominion, rule. God didn't save us just so we could start churches. He saved us so we could take dominion on earth. We could rule and reign on the earth. It's sad to me that the church is, you know, in, in many ways has become so anemic that we governments rule and reign, governors, mayors, politicians rule and reign, and many Christians don't even know the power that they have to rule and reign. Um, I want to talk about, if you want to write a little note out beside you so you'll kind of know where we're going 
I really believe it's hard to understand what's going to happen in Revelation. As I said before, without the church, the first, you've got to understand the church to understand the mystery. But the thought where we're going now is there has to be an understanding of the blood to understand the book of Revelation. And I'll try to tie them together, and then I'll go there with, with our teaching. But the thought being, if, if, he, if the letters are written to the church, and Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is distinctly different than any other people or human beings, it's a distinct nation, he will treat it differently and not hold it accountable to the wrath that is to come. But the way we became the church was through the shedding of the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ shed at the cross, and my confession of such, I get baptized into a body. So what I've worked out is there's no uh, separation from church and blood. They go hand in hand. So to have an understanding of the church, we've tried to give you a little bit of that. But now I want to turn to something that's rather messy and maybe not talked about a lot because when we think blood of Jesus, we just see Mel Gibson's Jesus uh, Jim Caviezel bleeding out on the cross and we cry and go, man, that's terrible. But blood, if you, if you really parse out what we've been teaching, blood, therefore, because he's the faithful witness and he's risen from the dead and he's the ruler, blood will touch all of the areas, both historically, legally, politically, and ethically. It's, it's got to touch them all. So if I can understand what the blood has done, I can begin to understand even Revelation better because as we head forward into Revelation, I touched on this a little bit Sunday. So I guess I'll pull it out here too because those that watch this may be a little different. If you, if you really ponder what was going on with blood, and I made this comment that the whales... Uh, in Genesis 6 and the dolphins and the sea creatures, they didn't get on the boat, but they obviously didn't die. And we made the, the comment of why didn't God kill all, and I'll tell you more of that Sunday, but why didn't he kill them all? They seemingly got away with it. Like, wouldn't you have wanted to have been a dolphin? You wouldn't have even known the world was going to hell in a handbasket. You'd be like, man, the water got deep real quick. Let's jump, right? And more water for me to play in. The whole planet's now your playground. What a cool thing if you're a dolphin flipper or a whale. But what we do find out is God never lets us off the hook because in the book of Revelation, all of the seas turn to blood and everything in the ocean dies. You cannot escape blood. So you're either going to get blood in judgment upon yourself and you die, or you're going to get blood in justice upon Jesus and live. So the two bloods are this, if you want to write it out. There is a blood that redeems and brings you life. And there is a blood that judges and brings you death. Right? Even God will say one of the things he hates is hands that shed innocent blood. And just so you'll understand blood, because you and I think, um, we kind of think this way about blood. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Um, I just want to give it to you. Um, turn to Genesis 4.10. I, I had to Google it, so I don't think I'm smart. Uh, 
It's the power of Google, right? Uh, Genesis 4.10. I just want to make a comment about blood. This is God showing up to Abel, who just killed, uh, I mean, Cain, who just killed Abel. So God is, in this passage, is showing up to Cain, who just killed Abel. And listen to what God asked him. Where, verse 9, where is Abel, your brother? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Don't you love people who kind of like to ask questions back to God? He said, what have you done? Watch, this is huge. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. I'm going to look up another word. All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I'll tie them together and we'll jump into the, the blood, the judgments, and the judge, justice. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And then I'll tie these two thoughts together since they weren't part of our slide. They just kind of came to me in the moment. To Jesus, this is he talking, he said, Now you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. That new covenant means it's legal. All right, there's the legality. The mediator of a covenant. And to the blood of sprinkling, that's how he got it. Remember, he, he became worthy because he sprinkled it. And listen to what it says about the blood that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now watch, I'll put both of them together. I, I wish I had them to put up there so your eyeballs could see them. So you're just going to kind of have to, in a minute, you're just going to have to do a photographic memory. Genesis 4. Genesis 4. What have you done? Watch. The blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. So this thing that I can just cut myself and bleed, your, your blood has a language to it. Your blood speaks. If you don't believe it, ask a geneticist. When they draw your blood and they send it off, your blood will say whether you're sick, whether you're healthy, whether you're predispositioned for cancer or whatever. Your blood talks. They, they send it off to a lab and they do lab work. How could you do lab work on something that's unliving? Oh, well, they're just looking at white blood cells and red blood cells and cancer cells and viruses. Your blood talks. Yeah. <laughs> I felt that felt good. <laughs> I felt like a herald on a mountaintop. <laughs> Your blood talks. <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. You cut your hand and go, oh, I got blood on myself. The moment you cut your hand, this is me. You don't have to believe this. The moment you cut your hand and it bleeds on you, I believe the eternal supernatural realm hears that blood. Oh, it talks. Abel's blood is crying to me. You murdered me. You murdered me. You murdered me. You murdered me. I wonder what God's ears sound like with the 50 plus million babies who've been aborted and we just flush them down a toilet. We got rid of them and their blood is like, we've been murdered! 53 million plus voices screaming for justice unto God. No, we flushed them down a toilet and threw them in a trash. We got rid of them. Never! 
blood talks. Like I know you can't hear it, but in the, in the spirit world, and then the verse in Hebrews, and the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over you, Diane, than the very blood of Abel. The blood of Abel is judgment, judgment, judgment. But Jesus' blood is shed, forgiven, redeemed, redeemed. Death, 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 life, life, life. That's what's going on. This thing, you got to be saved because Jesus is the only way. The reason he's the only way is the only thing your blood can say is, I deserve death. So when you, they lay you to rest and they suck your blood out and they put formaldehyde, I think that's what they put in you, and they, they just flow it all through your body, and I don't know what they do with your blood, but do you know you're judged for that blood? That blood has a language to it that says guilty, 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 guilty. It speaks unto the eternal realms that you are guilty. You are under a whole other system of government and laws and you'll be judged. But for those who would but dare confess, Jesus, you are my Lord. That blood is poured through my veins and it speaks a better word. Mercy, grace, grace, grace. So, to understand the book of Revelation, there has to be an understanding of blood. We have to gain why blood is so important. Therefore, I would just ask, if we have been bought off the slave block and now legally and politically and ethically and historically we are his children and the thing that bought me off the slave blocks was the blood that cries forgiven I hold nothing against you Colossians 1 I believe says I took everything that was against you and nailed it to the cross I hold nothing against you. Explain to me logically how the God that bought me politically, legally, ethically, and historically and placed his signifying blood upon my life that screams forgiven, blessed, honored, power, glory, dominion. How could that God there in turn say, good luck, I'm going to send you through all the judgments that are going to come upon the people that have rejected me. And the lunacy to think that the church is going to be here and be able to get a generator up on the mountains and grill up some corn and make it seven years. Because they don't even think logically. I tell you what, we'll just get a bunch of MREs enough to last us seven years, man. We can do that. You're not thinking beyond you. Because when you go through the judgments of God, the hills are laid low, the islands are gone, there's no more rain, there's boils, there's sores, there's blood in the rivers, blood into the water, blood into the ocean. Everything is dead. Everything becomes annihilated. One third of the earth. And you think because you're in the mountains of Kentucky, you're going to survive? <laughs> Literally. We think we're going to survive. Well, I'll have a generator. There won't be any gas because the mountains are laid low. The whole earth trembles and the foundations of the earth. There won't be any oral rigs left. 
for you to even go get a gallon of gas. That's why I'll make moonshine. Great. You, I, will, I will give you this. If you can make moonshine, you might make it seven years. I mean, I am going to go out on a limb with that one because moonshine has some power. You could barter a little bit. You could, you know, cure some diseases. And maybe if you broke out in sores, you wouldn't remember it. I don't know. So I am going to, for those post-tribbers out there, I will say if I don't make it, please have some moonshine just to help a brother out. All right? Uh, uh, this kind of brings some humor to the audacity of what's going to happen in these judgments. But, but to understand the blood. So here's where we are. We are, we, we, we are done for today. But what I want to do is, and I know we're spending a lot of time in chapter 1. That's why I said it'll take us about 30 weeks. Because I'm trying to give myself time. Because some chapters are just really going to take longer than just running through. Because once we get to chapter 2 and 3, we'll do it one, one a week. But I want to come back next week and I want to talk and finish with the blood of redemption and the blood of judgment. And where I want to lean you is that the blood of redemption is the age of the church, which we will see in chapters 2 and 3. And the blood of judgment is the wrath of God to be poured out. And they're two distinct, separate events and God will deal with them both differently. That's where we're going, okay? So let me pray. I hope that helped you. Father, thank you so much for life. Thank you as you just help us pull all this together to have a great understanding of where we're going and what we're doing. I bless the words we've heard. I bless the study we've had tonight. I ask you to open up our hearts even further as we read it this week and study it even more. I bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. I love you. Have a great night. See you next Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message. 